You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan, brought to you by the Hockey News. Established in 1947, the authoritative source of hockey and the number one publication in North America, it has an ever-growing podcast network and video database on top of an already established print and digital brand. The Hockey News is there to cover all major hockey stories from around the world. Visit THN.com deal to get the best value on a subscription to the Hockey News. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan, and joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vive. How are we keeping today, Squid? Uh, we're doing okay. Very busy, very busy. Doing a lot of uh, interviews for the book and uh, and having fun with it. it it's, it's been great. Well, as you should be. See, so you're not mediated out yet, are you? Uh, oh, I'm getting close. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple today. Well, now you're really in the big leagues now. So, you know, you're going on the other side of the camera again. So we got to make sure, uh, you know, on the microphone, you're not just answering straight questions today. Remember, you're allowed to ask questions on our podcast, okay? It's not like- Yeah, that's true, yeah. Right, so <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. I got, some, I got some good Ludgy stories, so uh, I think I think I'll have to bring those out. Yeah, that'll be that'll be good. So we'll get some of that going today. Well, I mean, but first though, it, which we, we're, a new segment of our show that we're trying to bring back uh, a little bit is uh, Leaf history. And the, the moment, this moment in Leaf history, and. We like to look back on today, November the 21st, 1958 on this day. A number of things happened. One of the things that does have a tie to our my co-host, the Leafs hired George Imlach, known as Punch, to be the new GM of the Leafs. And a week later, he replaced Billy Ray as the coach. And that was in 1958. And what, 21 years later, 22 years later, he was your boss. He was. He, he actually traded for me. He traded and, for you. Uh, uh, thank goodness he did, because it was a new lease on life for me at that point in my career, early in my career. And then things went pretty good after that. So uh, I got a, I would say a big thank you to Punch for uh, for getting me to Toronto. Yep. And having that faith in you and uh, your winger there, uh, well, your centerman, actually, uh, Billy yeah. Lego. So uh, <laughs> the, the two of you became as a nice little package. And on this same day, 1964, just for the real buffs, Terry Sotchak became the first goaltender in NHL history to get one or more shutouts in 16 straight seasons with a one nothing Maple Leaf win over the visiting Chicago Blackhawks. And he broke a record that had been held by Harry Lumley, which had been 15 years. So another little piece of Leaf trivia for you. And uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't a bad goalie, that guy. <laughs> oh, well, he actually, yeah, he, he, he did okay. He stopped a few pucks over his time, as we found out as fans. And the last time, actually... That happened was in 1967. That kind of helped a little bit because yeah. people want to remember. So speaking of which, it's pretty quiet on the hockey front all around. Although there are rumblings, the owners and the players are still working on a fair agreement as far as compensation and salaries go. The 20% escrow agreement has been put in place. There was talk already. They've agreed upon a 10% cut already on a shortened schedule, which could be anywhere from 48 to 60 games. And now they're talking maybe another 13 to 16% as early as today to see if something happens. Hopefully, hopefully they can work out some, something amicably, not quite like their friends in the baseball league that are, you know, getting into the battles again, fighting in the press and the players threatening not to play. But, you well, know, they, hopefully, Squid, we can come to some sort of agreement pretty quickly. And I'm get pretty sure they will, Mike. And I think 
a lot of it is going to be tied into revenues and, and obviously there hasn't been any that many revenues and um, the league shelled out a lot of money this year to get the return to play started and, and the playoffs and everything else. So, you know, I mean, for a year, the players may have to kind of bite the bullet and, uh, you know, the league, I think, and then we'll sit down. I think they'll get it all ironed out personally. And, uh, you know, I mean, the players are making enough money that if, even if they lost, you know, 20, 25%, they're still making good money. Yeah, and I mean, and some of it will be held back, and they could they could see it come back to them in the near future. And yeah. one thing they should remember, and these baseball players should take note, maybe, maybe they'll wake up one day and realize this, that the owners actually have a little more money than they do. And these guys are not billionaires <laughs> oh, you, for no reason think? at all. <laughs> yes, just, so they do have maybe a little more staying power than some of these guys. So maybe they should remember that the next time they start bickering back and forth. But another note on a hockey, minor hockey twist here was Dustin Johnson winning the Masters over the weekend, and very impressive style. Obviously, he's the, he's the chap that's uh, engaged to uh, Wayne Gretzky's daughter with a couple of children. So Wayne is a very passionate observer himself. But the interesting thing was, even as sacred and maybe almost religious as this tournament is for some people who plan their whole year around it, and it really is sort of the kickstart to the spring and to the summer for most people, it really was missing that kind of little bit of extra that the Masters brings you every year, just with no lack of fans and just sort of the change in weather. I mean, it almost seemed like it was rushed to me. I mean, you know, you're playing golf every day. So, and they're going off back tees all weekend, playing in the morning. And it just almost seemed like get this in and get it over with. Yeah, I think that was probably the idea was we need to play the Masters in 2020. Uh, I mean, Yes, it was a, it was a totally different feel. I mean, the winds were coming in the, a different direction than what they normally do. So the players were a little confused. In fact, they were uh, they were talking about one caddy who kept notes for like fourteen or fifteen years on the course, and because it was played in November, he just threw that book out the window and said, "Well, <laughs> we're not going to need this because everything's going to be different. The greens were different, the rough was different." Uh, the winds were coming out of a different direction and, and, you know, but it was still the masters. Oh, yeah. And then you saw what happened on the 12th hole with Tiger Woods. I mean, that is the masters and that, that hole I've seen bite a few people in the rear end over the years, Jordan Spieth, another one. Yep. Uh, but to get a 10 on that hole, like, wow, that was, uh, that was untiger like. It sure was. And then well, the old adage that says on this tournament in particular, it really doesn't start until Sunday in the back nine. And, you know, it didn't really have a lot of that, although Tiger showed why that is true to form yeah. in previous years when that can just, and look at it. And he went, I think he made four birdies in the last uh, five holes or whatever it was after that. Yeah. He still finished minus one. Uh, had he not had that 10, let's say he pars it. Yeah. You know, you take that's minus eight. I mean, yeah, that, that, that would have been, you know, right up there in the top 10. But, you know, hey, that that's golf. Well, we got cheer for the old guy, Bernard Langer, the 63-year-old. He beat oh, Penny beat was, the... Yeah. How great was that to see him make the cut and finish? What did he finish? Minus three, I think? Minus three. Yeah. Like, that's he beat, pretty What's his face there? Chamblow. You know, the, the, the big mouth, Bryson. Oh, yeah, well... He kind of had some meltdowns out there this that, uh, that weekend as well. So, uh, 
Well, well hopefully somebody will pull him aside and say to him, you, you do have, it's one thing to be passionate and have a comment about certain things in life and sports, but to walk into a, again, I'll use the word sacred, sacred grounds like the masters that everybody holds in such high esteem and immediately say that your par at Augusta is 67. It's not going to go, you know, that doesn't go over too well. And then you get beat by a 63 year old on Sunday. The golf gods were looking out and gave him a little slap across the old wee wee. Well, I think he needed it to be quite honest with you. The way he dominated the, the previous tournament and, you know, with his length and everything and his strength, but you know, that's not just golf. Isn't about all about distance and strength. I mean, there's a lot more to it. And I think he's going to, I think this maybe will give him a little bit of a wake up call. Yeah. And say, you know what? I got to redefine myself a little bit different. Yes. I have the distance and I can still hit it far, but I got to be smarter and I got to play smarter. Well, I think the thing people can take away from this is the fact that viewership was even down for the Masters, which is unheard of. And I hope that some of the other sports teams and leagues are watching and, and paying attention because if the Masters has a low-end viewership, then we definitely have a sports crisis. That means, you know, pay attention, guys. Well, I think it had probably less viewers, Mike, more because it was when it was. Yeah. I mean, if it was in April... Oh, no Even without fans, you would have had as many viewers as you normally have for the Masters. But I think with the November date, I think that kind of hurt everything a little bit. Yeah, it did. And uh, anyway, well, so we get six months from now, and they come back at it again in April. So we'll see, <laughs> yeah. see how they get a second shot at it, and Dustin gets a chance to defend very quickly, all in the same year. Yeah, and, so, our, and our Canadian did pretty good, too. They did absolutely times. awesome. That was you know, fantastic to see that. And so the guys are all in there again. And then uh, Mackenzie Hughes actually qualified and he'll play in April. So that yeah. another four guys will be there again, maybe five actually. So hopefully, um, well, our guest today, I guess we both know um, it, it is somebody who after his career at an early age uh, came across or was felled with uh, Parkinson's. Uh, he's a guy who's now spending a lot of his time fighting for the cause, running his foundation. He was a pretty good professional himself, actually, that, and had a pretty distinguished career. And I'm referring to, of course, uh, Stevie Ludzik and somebody that uh, is a close friend of yours. Yeah, he is. And uh, we played together in Chicago, obviously. And um, I think one of the reasons I ended up down here in Niagara Falls is I was down here quite a bit uh, working with him and on his, with his foundation and uh, putting together the, the roast and the, the golf tournament, helping and um, and then I kind of fell in love with the area and realized that I could buy a house for about a third of what I could sell mine for in Oakville. So I said, uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll move down there and then I can, I can help out a little bit more. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I see him from time to time. And, uh, obviously this year has been a lot less because of, uh, the pandemic and everything else. And, you know, uh, not wanting to go into a, your buddy's house who, you know, has uh, liver issues and, and Parkinson's and because that's not what you want to do in case, no. you know, you, you spread it or something. And, uh, but he, he's a great guy, funny guy. And uh, I got some great stories about him too. Well, you know what, I think, you know, on that note, I think maybe we should just uh, turn it over to our, our friend, Mr. Ludzi and uh, hear what he has to say. So let's, let's bring him in. Absolutely.
Okay, Squid, our guest today was chosen by Chicago 28th overall in the 1980 entry draft. Played most of his career for the Hawks. Coached in the minors along with the stint in the NHL with the Tampa Bay Lightning for a few years before embarking on a media career. He's a fellow author like you and I. And now spends his time running his foundation for the fight against Parkinson's. Please welcome Steve Ludzik. Ludzik, how are we doing today? Hey guys, Squid, congratulations on your book coming out, my friend. Yeah, Good thank job. you. Thank you. That's 22. Michael, yeah. I love the painting that you mural you got behind you. And um, is that Dave Keon at Living with the Puck there? Yeah, that's Davey Keon. That's it, him. Yep. Yeah, it is, actually. Uh, I thought you liked that. Yeah, that's uh, Squid somewhere in that picture. <laughs> it's even a it's even a couple years before him so you know that's uh they're you know, playing the blackhawks the black too yeah i not just much. got a call yesterday from cliff coral squid oh did you and he said it's a high idea oh good good the yeah, say yeah great guy yeah, hey, so let's see tell us what, what are you doing with your uh, time these days with uh through the through this whole ordeal wash my hands <laughs> yeah, and really not um, not really not much different than I did before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, your the foundation is doing some wonderful, wonderful work, yeah. and uh, we yeah. like to get into that. And what we like to talk about is now with the the pandemic has shut everything down. Obviously, now moving into two thousand twenty one. Are the plans still to go ahead? I know I talked to Dan Lancione all the time, yeah. everybody there who's one of the workers. Actually, you know what? I got up this morning and I called Dan. I said, because he's usually in charge of this stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's why I didn't call him early enough, I guess. He just sent me a note. Yeah. He said, Are you guys recording? Yeah. 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 He knows anything with computers I'm done with. That's him. <laughs> So what's so what's the plan going into twenty one if things sort well, of? We're going to do going. something for next summer. Um, I don't think it's fair when businesses are hurting so bad, and, that, and that's our lifeline. And uh, we're we may raise over a million dollars for the Parkinson's Foundation at the Hotel Du Shaver with uh, help of Ricky Vibe and guys like Michael himself. And uh, it's turned out to be a huge event. And I never in my life I ever think that we're involved in something that that it feels so good to help other people. Well, people are noticing, Ludzi, and keep up the great work. And you know, and anything we can do to help promoting it going forward, A Squid, we're always there to try and help. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, well, the, the golf tournament, the roast has been legendary. I mean, the yeah. guests have been. I can't talk to you be roasted. Can I, Squid? And you know, you sell a lot of books if you're if you're roasted. <laughs> uh oh, uh oh, I may have to be roasted. I don't know. No, you oh, know yeah, what? That'd I, be I, worth I, it too. I was just going to say that. Let's let's get into some of the uh, some of the. We can we can come back to all this at the end. I do want to talk a little bit more about it moving forward, but. Let's just talk about uh, you growing up in Toronto as a young hockey player. Just talk about your mind. You played in some pretty good clubs growing up through the minor leagues in Toronto. Yeah, I think our Bantam team was so good. Mark Osborne, uh, Larry Murphy, and somebody else got cut from it. That's how good our minor Bantam team was. Yeah, Jack's Pack. Uh, Jack's Pack was a, a it was owned by, it's funny how the, the, the connection, Jack's Pack was owned by John F. Bass, who brought Squid in as a baby bull. And we never lost a game for two years. We beat Gretzky's team the year he scored 375 goals. 
I mean, no, he didn't lose any games that year except for one. It was up to us, but he was um, he was so great, and and it was an honor. I, at the end of the game, I remember him trying to get off the ice because he was really in a, an emotional state. And I just want to go over and tap on the pads and say, hey, you're the real deal, man. You're, you're unbelievable. And um, the gentleman that's looking with the gray hair, one of the guys with the gray hair, um, I had, we had a lot of fun in Chicago. And, and so you Smith and Lansky story, we got to tell that one up, Squid. Yeah, you you uh, you met Wayne Gretzky on a bus or something. Uh, yeah. Tell, tell, and then <laughs> subsequently something happened a little bit later on. But tell us about that story. I don't even talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, Gretzky. Um, um, I don't know if he's even a huge fan of mine. Was, uh, Paul Coffey um, said he had a little bit of. Your eyes irritate him. I think I irritate a lot of guys. But um, you can't take it away. He's a phenomenon. He's the greatest player of our era. And um, I just, I'm just, I'm happy. I enjoyed every goal scoring minute he got against our, our line. We're supposed to check him. Good luck. Good luck. But as the story goes, didn't you go to meet? You met him on a bus, I think, one time. He was on a, you went up, you guys were in a very competitive state going back and forth at each other's, even at the 74 Quebec Pee Wee tournament. Yeah. And you introduced yourself to him on the bus, and he actually said, You said, I'm Steve Ludzik. And he said, Oh, no, 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 you just, I, I know why I didn't get it. I was at a Toronto Marley hockey game with my best friend, Johnny Kirk. That's okay. It was, bus, it was a subway. Okay. And I, and, and, um, Gretzky was supposed to play Bantam against us that year. I played for the Marlies. He played for, he was going to play for the Nats. And he came on the, the, the compartment. It was just him and a guy named, um, um, I can't remember right now. His dad on Motoski. It doesn't matter. I said, that's Gretzky. I should have Kirky, my best friend. I said, that's Gretzky. I'm going to go down and wish him luck. And hope he, we, you know, we'll see him a long way this year. He goes, Lutzi, don't go down there. Don't go down there. I said, I got to go down. The guy's great. I go all the way down the middle. Of the, there's nobody in the car. He's sitting. Bruce Ivanishin is the guy he's sitting with. And I said, Wayne, um, Steve Ludzik. And he said, I'm not Wayne. I'm, I'm Yogi Bear. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, man. And it, it was just, uh, I walked back and my buddy, Johnny Kirk, said, man, he make you look bad. Like, really bad. And I said to Kirk, I said, I'm going to get him this year for that slate. If I don't get him in junior B, I'm going to get him in junior A. If I don't get him in junior A, I'm going to get him in National Hockey League. Well, son of a bitch, I never got a chance to play. He, he played a year earlier junior, and then he went to National Hockey. We were still, still playing junior hockey. But um, he was – he was. I, I can't say anything. That, that was not like him. He was usually a pretty um, – a very nice man, and he and he's turned into a, a great um, spot for the National Hockey League. Well, then you—that's you, where, where you got me. It was a bus. It was a subway. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So but then now, didn't you play against him in two hand him the first time you played against him? And uh, yeah, and he said to me, "What's that for?" I goes, I, "It was Fred Flintstone." He called himself. Yeah. Logie Bear. I said, "That's fucking payback, Fred Flintstone." For <laughs> And he goes to Paul Coffey on the bench. He goes, your buddy loves it. Cause he got like some screws loose. Cause he tore my hand off with a slash. 
And he goes, he, he just has a long memory. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, your junior career, Lutzi, you had quite the career in Niagara Falls. Uh, you were, you, it was outstanding, actually. I mean, the all-time leading scorer. You made the all-time five-man all-star team. That must have been a real fun time for you to play hockey. Well, you live there the, today, so it must have been real good. It was, and, and um, it was a tough time in my life because uh, I was a big scorer despite with my HL stats, where I was always a big scorer. <laughs> and and um, I got sick the year I was playing provincial junior A when I was 15. And I was leading the league in scoring, and I got Crohn's disease. And that would have been 77. I knew I thought I was going to play hockey again. I wasn't drafted the seventh round. Senate master, gentlemen, hockey people remember. Sam was the guy who brought Gretzky over. Sam was the guy that took him out Gretzky to LA. But um, it just, um, I um, I think that um, if you look at Gretzky's record and stuff that he's done throughout his career, uh, great players are great guys. And we're very lucky in this sport. I don't mean even waxing apples, getting off a topic, but even better players, even better people. And you can't, you, Michael, you know that as well. Yeah. You're a good friend with Billy Gardner, great guy. Yep. Yeah. Just a great guy. And um, uh, let's just leave it at that. Well, I was going to say to you, no, now, I mean, you lit it up that your last year with the Flyers. You're being modest. I mean, you, you had a big year. So you actually, you, you all of a sudden, you not getting drafted high. You go to the O, you light it up. So going through that year, all of a sudden now, things are starting to fall into place for you. Who were kicking the tires in you as far as NHL teams go leading into the draft? Or was anybody talking to you? Oakland Seals. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> no, no, nobody talked. Freddie Stanton was our coach in um, in junior, and Freddie said there was some interest in Blackhawks. I did, you know, I just wanted to play. I didn't care what team I drafted. I just want to play in the National Hockey League. As, as everybody knows, that's what you, you play the game for. And I was lucky to go to a team that was a good team, but really good centermen. I remember getting drafted, and I'm going Dennis Savard, Terry Ruskowski, Tom Lysiak, <laughs> Billy Gardner. I had to go play. And you know, that's the thing. I played left wing most of my career. Because we were so locked in at center ice. Well, you forgot Troy Murray got drafted the same year as you. Troy Murray. Billy Gardner, like, I mean, Billy Gardner's one of the better, better players I ever played with. He just couldn't get a spot, you know, on that squad. But don't forget, you had Stan Makita, Tom Lysiak, Daryl Sutter. Yeah, that was all your centers. Yeah, Tom Lysiak, one of my best buddies since past. But um, Daryl Sutter was a, was a winger. But... Um, yeah, it was, it was a, there was a log jam at center ice. You know, like you look at all the players in the National Hockey League, especially in our area anyway, um, they were always the best players on their minor hockey teams or oh, yeah. their junior teams and everything. And then all of a sudden, a lot of them get to the NHL and they got to kind of reinvent their game and become yeah. a different type of player, which obviously you kind of had to do. Yeah. I like guys would say to me, "Lucky, what are you, are you checking?" And, and junior, I just grab a puck and go with it. And that's why I was really careful when I coached um, guys of enormous, like a guy like Lecavier. I would say to him, "Don't be begged. You got to check, obviously, but you got to try a guy at the blue line." Most of the time, Lecavier playing for you, it's like asking secretary 
the pool milk wagon. You break his heart. <laughs> you yeah. know, you, you got to let the guys with that with the natural touch. You got to let them go. That'd be like Squid the same time. You can't shoot the puck on down the right side. Yeah, yeah. You shoot the puck. Well, you might as well sit on the bench. You know, because well, that's or up in the press box. Out of the press box. Yeah, I know. And, and, and but you're right. And you have to be willing to take a role they give you, and do it. Yeah. And do it. And, well, I can tell you, let's see. Do it, there's a hundred thousand other guys that'll do your job for you if you don't want to do it. Yeah, well, that's absolutely right. Well, I can tell you that 1980 uh, camp that you went to, your first camp, and Guards was at that camp, and he phoned his dad the first day and said, I'll be going back to Moncton. He said, first off, with Lydziak and, you know, and Stan and all these other guys there, um, Dennis Savard, he's a lock. They've had two skates, and he said he, he was already on the team before they even went any oh, further. Dennis, One day. He was so good to watch as an 18-year-old. I would go to the rink early to, we, the four teams in a kind of round and round tournament, right? I would go even if I wasn't on the schedule to be in the first group up. He would grab that puck and he would go with it like a whirlwind. And there's, it's, it's something to be said when you, he want to prove that he's better than Wick and I. Remember that? That was the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And Doug Wick and I was a good hockey player. He was not a poor hockey player. He was a good player. But just unfortunately, in the spot of being first overall, he didn't deserve that 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 beating he took from. Hey, you're the first pick overall. He wasn't Dennis Savard. Hey, nobody's Dennis Savard. Yeah, nobody's. Uh, I played junior against Denny in uh, the Quebec League, and then uh, I remember being in Chicago, and of course, I played with him and Larms, one of your best buddies, Larms, yeah. who was a. And for the life of me, I don't understand why he's not in the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves to be. I think he was the best, one of the best two-way players yeah. ever to play the game. And uh, but anyway, so I'm playing with them, and and I remember one night we we're playing Edmonton, and Denny got the puck. He beat not only did he beat the five guys on the Edmonton Oilers, but he beat two of them twice. Yeah, he scored a goal. <laughs> like we're we're literally standing there watching. Yeah, he zigzagged. East, west, north, south. But that ended up costing us because he tried pulling that shit a couple of times after that. Trying to add 12 guys, five times, you know, whatever. And it cost us goals. We said, hey, you know, we already got the picturesque goal, short-handed goal we've ever seen in our life. Just get down the ice. <laughs> just please throw it down the ice. Well, I was going to say to you, for you, like, it just kind of a couple of things here. Your first camp, you show up and you know, all of a sudden there's all this competition at center in front of you. Emotionally, let's see if you maybe just take through us, like a lot of young NHLers like yourself, you have outstanding careers leading to your first NHL camp, but all of a sudden now you're facing your first real challenge playing against guys who are as highly touted as you are, or equally, or if not even better or highly or more skilled. Well, I'll tell what you. was your mindset? Well, I just finished coming on from Derek Sanderson was my assistant coach. And he said goodbye to Larms and I when we were flying off. And he said, you'll be able to tell if you're going to make the team the number they give you in training camp. <laughs> and I was 63 and Larms was 64. <laughs> the next year we came, we didn't make it. We played them. It was 55 and 54. Here we made it. We're 28, 29. <laughs> and, and that... It, it was funny. We were saying, I was Turks not talking about the number they give you, you know, you're going to chance to make the team. They could have given us a, a farther number down the, the list. But um, I think what you do is um, 
Like you see guys and Squid played pro at a young age, but you see guys, you're at the Chicago stadium. That's big in itself. Oh. And then um, you see Stan Nikita and you, you watch Stan and I remember watching him in the dressing room. Uh, he played 21 years with that body. He had skinny little arms and, and, a, and, and, and a little pot belly and, but he was just great. Yeah. You know, Tom Lysak, Squid can tell you that the, the times have changed. Tom Lysak, he would come to training camp. He didn't put his skates on. Never mind do five miles a day and sprints and plyometrics. Tom Lysak was maybe the greatest guy I ever played with. Yeah, the hell, I'm, not, I'm just going to go play. He'd be the best guy on the ice. He'd be the best guy on the ice. And he hadn't touched a skate or even put running shoes on in the summertime. Well, that was that was our era. I mean, yeah, you know, not many guys did a whole lot of training in the summer. I mean, you got you kind of got started in August and you skated every day in August, and then you went to camp. And of course, we had three weeks before we played an exhibition game anyway, so we had time to get somewhat in shape. And uh, you know, that was that was the way it was in the eighties and the seventies and and the sixties. Well, in the sixties, they were working in the summer. Yeah, they went and they, they they say they went to camp and I golfed around a golf a day. I'm in great shape. Imagine yeah. showing up right on your itinerary. Yeah, I got a golf and that'll show if I'm in shape or not. Let's see if we have VO two on a on a golf cart. <laughs> well, Punch and Nuck used to send a letter out for that. They'd have to do twenty sit ups, twenty push ups, and be playing nine holes of golf every day. At yeah, least. And, and Pedro. Yeah, there's a great book out about the Leafs of '64, and it's all done in training camp. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. I know Mike, you're a big fan like I am of the nostalgia stuff. Yeah. And it's so much watch the players walk into, like they had to walk to, to the rink because that was part of their exercise. If you score 10 goals, you had to do 10 push-ups. Any shacks are right. I only got five. I only got to do five push-ups. I'd rest the So, so five, five in his career, I think. Probably yeah, while well, yeah. you had he was, you watch those Leaf games. He was a, he was a good hockey player. And he came out of junior with a reputation as a scorer for the Guelph Bill Wars. Yeah. That's right. He was a, Gordy Howe told me that he was the only guy that he went to in the summertime and said, hey, look at, we're going to, either one of us is going to get killed. We're running each other like bull moose. Let's make a deal. You stay away from me. I'll stay away. Because he hurt Gordy Howe a couple, uh, he hurt Gordy Howe. And he shot, he was a big man. For that day, and yeah, age. he was, was like and, fifteen, and he could skate, and he could skate, and he was fearless. Yeah, and and, and Gordy Howe told me that was the only guy he made a deal with, Eddie Shack. No kidding, man! Eh? Wow. Yeah. Well, for Eddie Shack, you just put a dollar sign in front of him, and he'll do anything you want. Oh, yeah. he, wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't stupid. No, he wasn't. He was a pretty sharp guy, and uh, he was—he uh, certainly saw how that nose for a value sort of commercial sort of fit yeah. him to a T. Pop shop, Christmas trees, all that it. stuff. Yeah, he—he'd sell you a Christmas tree and buy it off afterwards, <laughs> and then we sell it to somebody else. Yeah. Now, Lindsay, what was it like playing in the for you coming from Toronto? You go to an original six team playing in Chicago, your first time through the league, and even coming into Toronto for the first time. What did that cost well, you for tickets? The first game I ever played was against the Quebec Nordiques. And it was 8 nothing, and the coach was Keith Magnuson, and I guess he couldn't get any worse. They put me out there. And I intercepted a DD pass by a slumbering 
moose DuPont. He must have been sleeping, did not see me. I just picked it off. And for some reason, I took a slap shot from the blue line. And I don't think I've ever scored from the blue line in my life. Dan Bouchard was sleeping, I think, at the switch, and I went under him. And I went and got the puck, and Roskowski said, maybe that thing I'm going to get out mounted for you. So after about two weeks, I go to Roscoe, hey, that was that puck, my, my first goal. And he goes, I lost it, Lundy, I'm sorry. Now, he's a better man than me. I just got any puck and got it mounted. So there's your, there's your first NHL goal. But he was honest enough. Um, playing in Toronto, uh, it didn't, it wasn't, it was big for me because my, uh, my mom and dad could see me. But I played at the gardens so much with Jack's pack. And, and, yeah. and I knew every corner. I knew where the pot machines were for a quarter. Um, I knew where they hid this and that. Um, it was it wasn't a, it wasn't a life altering experience. Montreal was more than that. And I realized when you walked in that rink, you had picture murals, huge murals of Howie Morenz and Rock Richard. By the time you got to the dressing room, you thought you were playing those guys that night. <laughs> you know, it's a little different lineup. Guy Carbonell. Well, for you back in that period. They had a pretty good team, Chicago, obviously. Yeah. So all of a sudden now you make it, you're setting a lineup, you're playing. Did you ever feel at some point you were a little too far down the, or maybe if you're playing somewhere else, you got a better opportunity because as we've talked about lots of times on this uh, show, it's about opportunity and seizing the moment, but you can't have one without the other. Well, and uh, I had a really good, um, my rookie year, um, a really good playoff run. And I played with Kurt Fraser and Kimmy Higgins. And then I, I remember um, that summer, Paul, Gus Vidalia was our agent, said, he, he talked to you about playing left wing. I said, I'm not a left winger. He said, I think you're going to play left wing. And that's where I played. So it's a living. <laughs> no, but did you ever think to, you would play, if you got to play somewhere else, you'd get a better opportunity? I always did, but it never came. And, and, um, that, that's one thing. You got to be a master of your own destiny, and um, that's it, it. It didn't work out the way I, I envisioned it, but um, that, that's the way life is. You don't get everything you want, and the only league that's been tough on me is one with the HL, NHL. As a player and as a coach, a coach. Um, you know, I was in Tampa Bay for a year and a half. You know, and I and I preface that statement by saying Al Arbor would have had a hard time. And, and I want, not that I compare myself to Al Harbor, not, not at all. But his team was the worst team in national hockey for two years in a row. He was about to get gone. And yeah, Tori stood up and said, no, that's my coach. And, and Squid knows that the pressure on coaches to perform now, the team goes in a slight tailspin, you're gone. Yeah. The average is maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, two years. They, they don't wait around anymore. I mean, they don't wait. Uh, no. No, it's a, a success-based business, and if you're if you're not successful in your first couple of years, you're gone. I mean, that's Bruce yeah. Boudreaux. Yeah, know, so been, yeah. You know, two three years does well and still gets fired because it's not good enough. It's not that's the Stanley right. Cup. And you set a standard, and, they, and you try to hit that standard every year, and unfortunately, you can't. Michael, I want to tell a quick story if I can about. Absolutely, you can. I up for dinner with this gentleman down here <laughs> in New York City, and, and I didn't make a lot of money. I didn't make a lot of money, and I washed my my, my pennies as, as strong as I could. Yeah. 
and Dennis Savard, like they, they, we were a very close team, but you know, sometimes you go to dinner and, and, and some guys go off here. Some, I, I go to Swiss Chalet. But um, not that I, went, I, I go with Squid, Dennis Savard, and I can't remember who, Dougie Wilson. Like, that's a pretty big company, right? And the bloody menu from Smith and Walensky, just the sounds of it, I know it's going to be expensive. And I'm looking at the steaks here, 60 bucks a steak. And the guy, the waiter comes over and he says, I, I really recommend the shrimp cocktail. And I said, 25 bucks for a shrimp cocktail. I bet you re recommend it. <laughs> and Squid just fell off his seat. And uh, we won the next night in, in New York. Yeah. And, I think oh, I had, and Squid goes, see, Lundy, he always comes back to help you. You pay a little bit more for the meal. You got a goal tonight. We won in New York. Everything's good. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I learned the most of Squid. Uh, when you play against them, there's some guys you play against, you don't really realize how good they are. And there's other guys when you play with them, you go, geez, he's not as good as I thought. Rick Vibe was a guy that you didn't realize how hard he worked to score. And um, when you play against him, you, you should be honey. He, he was like Robocop from the net. Like he took beatings. And, and I think by the time you finished, you had a horse collar around your neck. Yeah. Armadillo padding in the back. <laughs> it was, it was, and they weren't, and he had a great shot. But I think I always try to steal something from everybody that I play with. And, and, and Ricky was always good to his fans, always a gentleman. And he, and he came to play. So now, let's see, how did you get into coaching? Hey? How'd you get into the coaching? Uh, I, um, I retired. And uh, Rick Dudley had said to me, I think you'd be a good coach. Keep in touch with me. And I, he got me a job in Muskegon, Michigan, in the old United League. Yep. And I coached there for two years. And I, I had a, I, you know, if I made mistakes, I didn't want to make them on, 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 on canvas. So I, I learned, I had great guys. I got as much respect, maybe even more so than the guys that made millions. These guys are making two. Squid knows he coached in the East Coast. Yeah. These guys are making 300 bucks a week and they're diving headlong in the slap shots and just dying to play one game in the National Hockey League. Yeah. And we yeah. end up getting instant credibility because we as coaches have played in the NHL. These guys would saw the right arm off to play um, in the National Hockey League. But I still, I, especially with my health issues now, I hear from a lot of the guys and, and a lot of them from that that, that Muskegon days when, you know, you, you got to grind a guy down on a salary to make the budget. And it's kind of tough trying to convince him he's the best left winger in the league the next day. <laughs> You're grinding him on money, but uh, you learn and, and you go along and um, you do what you got to do. Now, what was some of the, uh, now you come from the national hockey league and you played on the minors yourself, but what were some of the head shaking moments coaching the Muskegon as an example and the minors and you'd say only here, this could happen. Well, I, I, I had a goalie by the name of Rockbelly, and, um, and he's a junior A kid. I knew a little bit about him. And he got a flu bug. And we we're going up to Flint, Michigan to play. I said, Well, you got to play tonight. We don't have a backup. We couldn't get a backup. And, and he says, I, I got a, he had a 96.5 temperature or something like this. <laughs> and I said, uh, I put the gear on our trainer. Our trainer was our goalie that night. 
And I said, guys, you can't allow a shot on that. And we damn well almost did it. We gave, we gave six shots, they got six goals. But that may have been... Mark Roof, the guy's name was Mark Roof. And he's fucked after the game. He had a cigarette in his hand. He's out talking to all the reporters and Flint and, and this game. I go, hey, trainer. He goes, I, I, I got to back, back the equipment up. We don't need to do any interviews. But um, that's the that's truth. And, and I knew, I said, we're going to have trouble with this goaltending situation. And then in that league, the toughest team was Thunder Bay. Yeah. I got it. And they were, um, they had a pile of, they were a good team, but they're really vicious. And the first game was, I coached there, we got beat like three nothing at home, four nothing at home by Thunder Bay. I went to the owner, Tony Lissman, I said, who wins this league? And he goes, Thunder Bay. And I said, okay, there's a new set of rules. Like we can't play by the rules and, and, and win. We got to get some, we got guys that make the martinis. We need some guys with real mistakes. And we found them. <laughs> Believe me, we found them. And but we ended up going to the seventh game with them to win the championship. But I think Squiddle backing up, all your guys have special memories and, and, and you know, in, inside you have special feelings for the guys. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you said that because I was on a uh, Zoom thing last night with uh, uh, Car South Carolina Stingrays, uh, the guy who yeah, worked for them, and he had three curb players and then a Dan Fornell who played for me and uh, another guy who stayed in Charleston after he played there. And, and you know, like I, I have nothing but fond memories of all those guys that coached in the minors. Like they, I'll tell you, they would go through the wall, like you said, yeah. they to play even in the American League, yeah. you know? And I, I just had a great bunch of guys with great character. And in 96, 97, we won the championship. And, and you know, I, I just had a team full of character that wouldn't give up. And we, Ed Courtney played for me that year. He scored 50 some odd goals at 115 points. The second last game of the season, he two hands a guy across the face and gets suspended for the whole playoffs. Yeah. And I'm going, how are we going to replace those goals? And I went in, I said, well, everybody's just got to chip in a little bit. So guys that don't score that many goals are going to have to score one or two more. And, yeah. uh, and damn it, if they didn't do it and we won the championship. I remember that. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, and it feels like a Stanley Cup to you. Oh, and it does to them too. And uh, so because of that, you know, I still talk. Jared Bednar was on that team. He coaches Colorado now. Jason Fitzsimmons, who kind of runs Hershey for Washington, and he's your head pro scout. And, you know, so a lot of them have stayed in hockey and, and uh, you know, gone on to different careers. And uh, it's kind of nice to see. So now, Ludzie, you end up, uh, you get the job at the, with the big team after, uh, you know, you're playing around in the minors for a little bit, coaching in the minors, that is. Um, Tampa, talk about that experience. And how'd you get the job? First of all, it, it led to, I coached the Detroit Vipers. Yeah. We're the, the class of the National Hockey League. We, 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 everybody wanted to play for the Vipers. And Mr. Davidson, our owner, bought the Tampa Bay team and asked me if I'd be interested in coaching it. I said, yeah, sure. And, um, I still say the funniest thing that it's, you know, you hear things along the way. I remember we had a meeting and Tom Wilson, who was our president said, Ludzi, um, why you know this is a four-year plan, but you may only be here for two. 
You know, I've been there. And um, we, we, you know, the first thing is you got a team that's, you, you make it compete. And that we did. I, 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 and, and then um, you got so many young guys, you got you to gotta live with them. You got to make them, put them in spots where they may not be comfortable. Uh, I remember Gregory Campbell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He for me. And um, I said, where do you see yourself as the Florida Panthers? You know, I'm going to be a second line center. And I said, I love your confidence. But for you to break in that NHL line, you got to beat somebody on the fourth line first. And you got to learn how to check and you got to learn how to take face offs in the last second. You got to like that pressure. And then if he didn't do it. Yeah, he did. He did. He did it. He worked his butt off. And um, um, didn't he win a Stanley Cup with the Bruins? Yeah, Bruce. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the biggest difference between coaching, say, in the American Hockey League and the National Hockey League, or even, even in the East, like the, the difference that, that you found immediately? No difference. You're dealing with athletes, mm -hmm. um, high-strung athletes, highly skilled, talented athletes. And you can ask the gentleman right here, if we go and play a game of ball hockey, <laughs> like, it's not going to end up good. <laughs> Because you're going to compete, whether you know whether you're playing a ball hockey game or or not. Anybody wants to go to watch Mark Lamb, last next goal wins? Check that out. Next goal wins on my documentary wow. on the Mark Lambert ball. That's how serious we took it. We got wow. a documentary on our ball hockey team. Well, it's funny you mention that because I played in the Toronto Ball Hockey League when I was <laughs> playing in Toronto in the summer with Gabby Boudreau, yeah. and uh, we were on the same team and. We'd play on the power play together, and, and it was great because we played our offsides. We'd throw it across for one-timers, and that ball would curve and yeah. everything. Anyway, we're playing one of our uh, a game, and this uh, – oh, they were younger, uh, much younger than we were, and they were teenagers, and they were running around like crazy. One, This one guy was cross-checking me all night long. Finally, I said to him, I said, listen, that, if you do that again, something's going to happen. So he cross-checked me. And uh, I two-handed him right across the visor, yeah. cracked his visor. And then on the way out, I'm walking out because I got kicked out of the game and their bench is yapping at me. And then I go, I'd start running and I dove in their bench and started throwing them. And, and I know where you were because it was Alderwood, Mimicor. Yeah. You're down there. I know because I heard about the next day. He <laughs> went nuts. He jumped on the team bench, started slapping guys around, giving education slaps. Well, the thing is, is like, to your point, it doesn't matter what we do, no. we're yeah. competitive and we're going to yeah. go all out. Yeah. You know, I mean, my wife and I, if we played, well, used to play back, I tried to teach her how to play backgammon. <laughs> and we were in Florida and there's like the high tables and the high chairs and there's a backgammon board in, in the table. So I'm trying to teach her how to play and I beat her about six or seven in a row. And oh, she was just like me. She grabbed the thing and threw it up in the air. All the, the pieces are going all over the bar. <laughs> Got up and walked out. <laughs> well, you know, Lutz, I was going to say to you, uh, we had Gabby on, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And one of the things he talked about was, and I, that's why I asked you that question. You answered basically the same way. He said one of the biggest, I don't want to call it disappointment, but one of the biggest things he looks at when he goes to send a player down, which is the wrong term, when he's sending him for better training or better conditioning somewhere, tutoring to a different league below the NHL, these, these players have got their heads down. He's looking at the guy saying to him, why do you have your head down? 
You're not going to some beer league in Markham where you're playing 11 o'clock and with a bunch of 50-year-olds. You're going to a real good league. These guys are good. It's competitive, and you're going to get better, and it's only going to help your career. Why are you going down there with your head down? Go down there and play well, and we'll get you back here. And well, that is the attitude he's tried to instill in his players all the time. I, I take it. I played in, before I got to Chicago, Farmer and I played in Moncton, New Brunswick. And the coach of the team was Orville Tessier, who coached Kitchener the year before against Niagara Falls. And he was not a big fan of mine. I used to pick up ice shades and fire at Orville's head. And he <laughs> ended up becoming my favorite coach. He locked us out of our dressing one night in Moncton. We had his we guys were ordering hot dogs and we can't get a dressing room. Orville's locked us out of the dressing room. Uh, he would say, um, there's guys making thousands and thousands of dollars down here not producing. And um, just a, just a, 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 I loved him. I loved him as a coach, though. And he was good for young guys because he pushed you, pushed you hard. And I, you know, Squid, I just saw Mike Kaziki the other day. Oh, did you? Yeah, I, I bumped into him. And uh, just great memories from playing in, in New Brunswick. And, and I know you're saying, Michael, yeah. it's, as a coach, you feel like it's worth saying to the guy who's on a tryout. You can't, your dreams are over. I, I that would really hurt me. Yeah, that's going to America League. He's got a contract. He, he knows what he was getting to. Some of these guys come in, and, 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 and fortunately, people are watching, but they're not watching. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know if that makes, makes sense. No, it does. Saying. Like, you know, you got to be so much better than a guy under contract to get in contract in camp. You have to be so much better than him. And, and, and justly, some things happen to some guys. Well, you know, if we think that we're we made the NHL because we're that great, it's just it's just a little bit like this, and, and you get a lucky break or you get a chance to, to, to produce in a certain situation. Yeah, that's well, I mean that's that that's a, that, I mean that's the way, right, Squid? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that too because I mean it, it, it's absolutely right. I mean, uh, and uh, you know, I mean it. The, the difference between the best players in the American League and, and and the guys in the NHL are probably about like that big. I mean, the guys in the American League, the best players are real good players. Yeah, look at Jody. But the problem, you look at the like when we played, it was a little different. I mean, the majority of the team were on two-way contracts. Yeah, that's right. There was probably three, four guys on each team that were on one-way contracts. Now. Everybody, except for their entry level, are pretty much on one-way contracts. A lot of them have no trade, no movement, you know. So, but back then, it was so much easier to get someone to the minors, and uh, they took advantage of that. But let's—I was going to say to you now, you as a coach coming from the, what was one of the maybe it was a funny moment, maybe it was a sad moment, just on that situation. You had to break a player's heart, or you had to send them down. How did you handle that? Was there any special, any players that uh, stood out that you had some fun with over this or that stuck in your mind over the years? Well, you know, it's, it, I had a kid that was trying out from <clears throat> Mississauga. I started, I took, a, I took a year and coached junior and I loved it. And he was going to be a, a nuclear doctor, doctor of brain surgery. And at that time, I knew that I had Parkinson's. I, I knew deep down that I had it. And he was really upset he couldn't make the team. And he, and he shed some tears, which I, I love that. I love a guy, an emotional guy. And I was about to say to him, hey, 
keep going with your books. You might be helping me out a few years along the way. <laughs> but um, as a coach, you have to be a good actor. Everything could be falling around around you, and you can't let the players know that. You can't. It, it's good times, bad times. When you're not feeling great, that's when you got to feel great. You got to show the guys that you're 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 above getting down. And then, of course, we all have moments when we have you know spots like that. But now, listen. So speaking of which, speaking, Mrs. Coaching at Mississauga, talk about that experience. Now, that was. And the players. Okay, so now you're dealing with kids. Now they look. How did you find getting your message across to kids looking at you who had played in the show? You've been there. Was it much different than playing with guys, say, or coaching guys in the minor pros? What was the difference? Well, I, I would go back and forth. You know, my first year coaching, we had a guy had an immigration problem, and I assume the kids that come out of junior knew how to trap and forecheck and different types of forecheck. Yeah. And we got smoked in, in, in Chatham one night, and I, had, and I had to drive one of the players across the border in my car. And I said, do you know what I mean? He played for Justin Morrison, his name was. He played for Kingston. Mm -hmm. I said, do you know anything that – and he just said, Let's, I got no idea what you're talking about. We never we knew any of this stuff. So I went, okay, go back to square one. This is a dumping. This is a for and slow it down. I thought something I thought that they had learned maybe when they're kids. But then I look at my own career. The only coach I really had that was uh, besides Roger Nielsen that was particular about teaching him was Bert Elton, who has a reputation as a, a hot, fiery, fiery, hot-headed guy. Actually, he's a great teacher, probably the best, and he's so far ahead of the game uh, conditioning-wise than anybody else. Our, our teams were very good with him. So what I want to talk about is now you played for some, Sorry, in your Mike. days, you played for some coaches like uh, you get the National Hockey League. Well, you, you touch on everybody. I want to get into a little bit of this with you about being the historical, fanatical guy you are yourself. And that's why we connected so well. But here you're going to Chicago and you got Stan McKeaton in the dressing room. You know, you're looking around at, you know, Tom Lysiak, Tony Esposito. You've got, and even playing under Bob Pulford and yeah. Keith Magnuson. I, how, did you, how did you react to all of that? I mean, that just... Well, you know, been, you know what really stuck to me was Stan. It was his last training camp. And um, they gave him a rocking chair as a going, a going away present. Thanks very much for 21 years. Here's a rocking chair. And I remember one guy said, we should let it, let it on fire right now. <laughs> but that was the way players, teams were just like that. And, and, and they, I don't think Blackhawks meant it as disrespect, but Stan played there 21 bloody years. I mean, and you think it would be a rocking chair yeah. made of gold? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, well, now uh, what about some of the coaches you played for in Chicago? You played for some pretty fiery guys. And so let's start with uh, you mentioned Orville already. Let's go to him now. The players had a different name for him. I think they used to call him uh, Oral uh, Testicles. No, they used to call him Mount Orville. Not Bottle <laughs> was spewing all over the dressing room. I didn't mind that though. Um, I remember. Roger Nielsen was our assistant coach at the time. And Roger was a technical guy because Orville wasn't a technical at all. He was firing brimstone. And we were watching film and the shot from the point and it was right along the ice. And Orville said, that's where the puck should be right along the ice for a shot to deflection. And Roger, instead of keeping quiet, Roger went, well, we've done tests in Vancouver and you got to keep about three feet to four feet off the ice so it doesn't get tipped. 
Well, we had the coaches going at it right in front of us. <laughs> and when you know the goal was scored right along the ice, and we're going, well, how about this goal? This is three, four feet on the ice. And Roger's like, yeah, but that's, you know, um, I, I, I liked, um, I liked Orville. Bob Pulford took over twice as a, as a coach and from his GM position. And they were all old school. Like, Squid, you remember, like, Let's get our bag of flesh. We're not winning. Let's skate for an hour and a half. Squid and I were involved in the worst bag skate I've ever been seen in, in captivity with Mike Keenan. Squid, the poor guy, he's cramped up like a like look at like a shrimp and a Barbie on the ice. He's in a fetal position. And, we, and I'm telling you, Mike, you a, 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 a skating, when you were in trouble, one half team comes out red and half team comes out black. You know you're in trouble. And and Squid might recall Dennis Savard after about and 10 he wouldn't minutes, stop. He wouldn't stop. He'd turn at the end and do a wide and Keenan would go, Red, go, let's go again. Go again. And he did it three times. Sadly, it didn't hurt him to skate. And um Doug Wilson grabbed him. Doug Wilson grabbed him and threw him. Threw him and yeah, you remember that squid? Yeah, threw him against he the board. Threw him against the glass. And then sadly went out of his mind. He literally <laughs> overheated. He started taking all his equipment off. Like something slap shot, arm pads here, stick there, and he's yelling for dead and slept to open up the door, get me out of this place. And he literally had a meltdown. His, yeah. his gasket's overheated. Well, well Mike, gonna... Mike Keenan can do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's he, come up a few times in this show, Mike yeah, Keenan. You know what? Now, I think he's got away from the rink. I think he's a pretty good guy. Yeah, that usually are, right? We'll say that. Yeah, and they were usually. Well, I was going to just carry on a little bit further with Orba because you guys were really close to really competing for the cup in those, that mid-80s team. And do you think that he made a comment one time, that heart comment with the players was done sarcastically in an interview. Things seemed to go a little sideways after that. Did he lose the respect of the room after that? We were playing, Michael, we're, remember now, we are playing the um, Edmonton Oilers. And um, Orville had used that line numerous times to us about the contacting um, Mayo Clinic for heart transplants. Yeah. He used it, also, but that, now we're hockey in Canada, it's front and center, we're playing the Oilers. So he got big publicity. The reason we didn't beat the Oilers was Coffey, Gretzky, yeah. Curry, Messier. <laughs> Messier. They, they had a fourth line wrong, they had a fourth line guy and he grabbed the whole Al Secord and we were like, oh, oh my God, this is guy, the fourth, what was his name, Pozar? Oh yeah, yeah. And he was a strong guy, cocked. Jeez, he just like a. It was unbelievable. And then you get by Low and Lumley and Doctor Randy Gregg, and then you're in on the real doctor, Doctor. You got Huddy, and you got uh, oh. And they like they, they, no, I don't think those guys they could put the skates on today and compete with some NHL teams. If they were together, yeah, they probably yeah. could. And at sixty years of age. Yeah. So, no, so after some of the crazy guys you played hockey for, and you can jump in in this one too, Squid, and you've both actually, you played for some real characters. Now, some of the guys, if you ever thought, and I'll throw this at you guys, maybe one day if you got somebody like Bob Murray, Doug Wilson, Sutter, all you guys said, and, and this, this doesn't apply to guys you play with, but anybody who's gone from player to coach, and maybe sit down with some of the guys you played with and maybe sort of exchange sort of thoughts back and forth that, Maybe some of the stuff they were doing to us in our early years, now that I was put in that position, really went out as rages as we thought at the time. Yeah. Well, I, 
Squid, how do you want to answer that? Well, I mean, in our time, it was outrageous, uh, the things that, that were done, but it was the norm back then. Yeah. It, it's if you look back from today, what coaches did and things that went on, you would say that that was ridiculous. But for us, it was normal. And we didn't, we didn't know any different. We know, heard that's the thing. Like, I had coaches that did things that, you know, I didn't even question because it was just the way it was. And you listen to the coach and you do what he says. And uh, that, that's kind of the way you were brought up. But we had some really, really crazy, intense coaches. I mean, you know, I had Keenan. I had Pam Maloney, Brophy. I had uh, Duds. Muckler. Yeah, yeah, uh, Duds. Duds, who's got a like, I'm talking about guys that have bad tempers and lose <laughs> it. Like, I mean, it can get, get a little scary sometimes. Well, yeah. where I was going with that was I, what I meant was then when you guys got put in that position to be a coach, did you find that you had to do some things sometimes? Like, glad you mentioned that sometimes you have to be a good actor, but some yeah. of the things that you did as a coach, maybe you could almost see a little bit of reasoning why they did what they were doing when you guys were playing for them. A little bit like I probably never really just bag skating my guys because I thought that as a coach you show that you're, you what you can't put your finger on what, why you're losing. Are we losing because our neutral zone's not good? Uh, are we losing because we're just a half a step off the forecheck? I always thought coaches just blew the whistle for an hour and a half. That's frustration, and it's like you think you pretty well lose your team when that happens. Guys are going, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Um, I think where we changed a lot uh, is um, socially as athletes. After games, now you see these fruit bars and milkshakes and, and protein things. When we were in Chicago, after the game, the first two or three years, you'd have three beers, Budweiser, big cans sitting in your locker spot. And it was like, and I didn't drink beer back then. So I give my three to Tom Lysiak. So you'd have six before you got out the door. <laughs> but they thought that was good for you. And now we know it's not. It's not yeah. good for you. In, in well, any yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. But, like, when I got into coaching and, like, Mike talking about it, I looked at every coach that I played for and I kind of looked at Tennessee's uh, good, the bad, the ugly. And, you know, I came to the, I came to the realization that probably communication – was the best thing that I could do with my players, you know, yeah. as young or as old as they were, I had to make sure that first of all, they all felt that they were as important as the other guy. Like yeah. the guy that scores 50 goals, the guy that kills penalties is just as important. And you got to communicate to get those things across to these young men. And you know what, it, it really served me well to, to uh, take that approach rather than, yeah, I mean, there was probably two or three times a year, maybe where I come in and threw a couple of things yeah. and went crazy. Yeah. But, but that was it because it would, as a player, I knew that after a while, you just tuned that out. You hear thunder and lightning every day and you don't think about it. Yeah. Exactly. And um, so I communicated. It's, it's, it's got to be the hard thing. You think about it. Hockey's a, probably, and, and it's probably the hardest game to coach. You don't have timeouts. I remember being in San Antonio, LA Lakers coach. What's the guy, the, the coach of LA oh, Lakers? Uh, Riley? Riley, yeah, Pat Riley. He didn't watch the game 
to the last five minutes, he's eating a piece of gum and fooling around there, and I'm going to the guy I'm watching the basketball game. He's only watching the game to the last five minutes. You can't, you know, hockey, you got to change in the fly. You got to get your matchups. You got to get, you know, it's not like baseball. So it's percentages and stuff that we don't, we don't have that. Now, let me tell you this. I mean, over your years, who were some of your more memorable teammates outside of the guy that joined us on this podcast? Some of the characters. I'd say um, Daryl Sutter. I'm really close. And I was close to all the brothers. <clears throat> all the brothers. And um, I remember four checking one night. And the brothers were very close. They talked to each other almost every day. And Brian Sutter tried to hold me up. He, we were in Chicago. And, and I pushed his stick. And he threw his gloves in the air and he was going to come after me and look and he went, don't hold my stick, Lindsay. He put his gloves back on. I talked to him after the game where like, Daryl schemes him. I thought it was sanitizer. I was going to give him a whooping. But I saw it was you and I, I let you give him a pass. But I, I, Tommy Lysak was, um, was a beautiful guy. Squid, you missed Tommy by yeah. year. I always said, um, we lost him a couple of years ago. He was a Joe Namath. Everything he said was funny. Everything he said was cool. He even spoke, he, when he talked, he spoke like singing a song. Like, he, you know, he went to Billy Watson one night. He was a good player, Hobie Baker. Where he was, Hobie, I love the way you're playing right now. Just loving it. And Hobie was like, oh, thanks, Squid. Thanks, Tommy. He said, well, you're playing, I'll play 10 more years. Don't feel pretty good in a job. <laughs> Now, didn't you room with uh, Jimmy Ralph for a while? Now, there's a character. Well, Jimmy Ralph would, um, he'd be only in camp for two weeks. <laughs> and then, then he always got the um, call down to stairs to see the general manager. And he, and, but I, every night, me and him and Lawrence would go out for dinner. And he was the funniest guy. Geez, he was funny. And, um, <laughs> um, I remember he went the one time and Bob Pulford came up. Bob Pulford said, he goes, you're, you're, you're a goalie. And Jimmy said, you're going to keep the equipment. And he had a great training camp going. He got blitzkrieg one day and rolled 10 and he, and he, and that was, he was off the radar, but great guy, great, great, funny guy. Who was the best prankster you ever played with? <laughs> Probably me. Name one of your pranks. What was one of your best pranks? I used to like to, uh, I, well, well, we were in, in, in um, Toronto and we were eating a steak dinner. And Steve Larmer, like Scooter can attest, loved to eat. Oh, yeah. He loved to eat. And I had a, picked up a, a Raisin Bran muffin from Tim Hortons on the way over and I put it in my jacket. And before they served Larmer's dinner, they brought over and the chefs or the, the major D's giving it to their, their meals. There's a little five or six of us. I used to have larm steak, put it on my plate, put the the uh, raisin bran muffin in place of the steak. And Larm's, the, the maitre d' the server goes, uh, breaded steak. And Larm's looks at it kind of quizzically and he takes, he goes, hey, this is a bloody bran muffin here, bran muffin. And he's eating, he would have eaten the whole thing unless he sold to hold it. It's not a steak, Larm's, it's a, it's a muffin. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's fun. one of the one of the greatest guys I've ever played with. One of the like very very quiet. Well, I mean, he's got his nickname suits him perfectly, Grandpa. Yeah, I gave that to him the first day in training camp, Junior. Oh, 
man. He looked like an old man. He like he looked like an old man smoking a cigarette, and we're doing a two mile run. He can't do a two mile run. He's bitching about the heat, and um, I go, "You're like a grandfather. You're really grandpa." And that 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 that, that became his nickname, and that, that's where he got it from. Well, it was a funny story about him and I because Larms used to like to get to the rink like three hours before yes. the game. And I did too. I always wanted to get there early because I wanted to tape my sticks, make sure they were done really well and, you know, get prepared. And so we used to always take separate cabs and to see who could get there first. And I, finally I said to Larms, I said, Larms, why don't we just take the same cab and go at the same time? I'll let you go in the door first if you want. I don't care. Like, you, you can say you were the first one there. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did. We did for a while. And, uh, but anyway, then we, you know what? We, it was great. He was a great guy. And I, I, I loved Chicago. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long. But the guys there were fantastic. And yeah. uh, we had a lot of fun in Chicago. And, and Stevie Thomas. Stevie. And, Big Daddy. Uh, Troy that, Murray. That that may be the that may be the next best nickname, Big Daddy. Yeah. Well, you remember uh, the story of when when we were on the bus? Oh no, sorry, that was when we were playing in Toronto, and we came to Chicago, and Big Daddy fell asleep in the very back seat of the bus. That's Bob McGill for those out there who don't know. Yeah. So anyway, we get to the the rink, and. Uh, or to the to the hotel and we're getting off the bus and everybody says Shh, be quiet so we all walked off the bus big daddy's still asleep the bus driver takes off he's he's in this remote place in chicago which you obviously don't want to be anywhere in chicago no late at night and the guy's locking the gate to the parking lot where the bus is and bobby wakes up and he runs and he's screaming and yelling the guy lets him out drives him back to the hotel. <laughs> the guy just let him sleep on the bus and, and he's in the middle of God knows where in Chicago. And thank God the guy was still there because he would have slept in that bus all night long. Yeah, and then you know in Chicago Stadium, you just park your car. Oh yeah. Five five dollars to attend it, ten if you want your tires on after the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, Lachie, part... I gotta get you to tell a story. Um, you know the historical part of you, we've touched on a little bit here, but I think this sort of exemplifies the, the, the you and one of the, I love this story you've told me before. When you're coaching in Tampa, you used to notice this older gentleman. He used to be hanging around the rink all the time, watching oh, your yeah. and your practices. Yeah. Tell that story about, the, about that. There's a, there's a gentleman, Jaworski, Polish last name, and, and he, our practice rink was right by Bob Evans. And I got to know the guy. I had like squid and I get to get to the rink early for practice, anything, especially if you're coaching. And I get talking to this guy, and um, it was his name, Ron. It wasn't Ron Jaworski. It was, um, you have to look it up in the record books. He never says anything to me for a year. We have coffee in the morning, just a hockey fan like, from Tampa Bay. And he's got a brush cut, and he looks like he's, you know, could have been a Marine sergeant if he wanted to. I'm talking to Don Cherry that summer, and I'm talking about this guy. Don Cherry loves you who that was. That was the best player I ever seen play. He won the Eddie Powers Memorial for Lee scoring for Oshawa Generals. I was I called him after I talked to Don. It was the same guy. He never said to me, you know, I played junior hockey, played pro. And he came to visit me a couple of times in Niagara Falls. 
that's a true story. I, I can't, I don't know why I'm losing this. We, we, we hinge together because we're both Polish. So. Um, wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah, and he never said a word to me. And I, I haven't mentioned him. I don't know why Don Cherry and I were talking. He goes, well, do you know who that guy was? I know exactly who you're talking about. He's one of the best players that ever played junior hockey, played for the Oshawa Generals. Won the scoring, Red, Red Tilson Award, I think it's for the leading scorer in the OHL. And uh, yeah, Michael, you got a good memory. Yeah, well, well I remember, I remember that story stuck in there. That, that, was, that was a good one. Look, now we've taken up a lot is, of your time. Squid, what have you got for, uh, let's, story, let's wrap them up here. Well, that story, I think exemplifies what hockey players are like. Yeah. Especially in our era and before us. They didn't talk about what they did. Yeah. They were gentlemen. Yeah. You know, and they do anything for anybody and it didn't matter who you were. And they weren't going to be the ones to come to you and tell you, tell you how great you are and everything. It was like, no, no, no. We're going to be, we're going to be friends and, and what, what have you. And, and I don't want to talk about hockey. I, I, you know what, I play the game. Yes, because I do it for a living and I love it. And, but I'm not going to get into talking about myself as a player. And, and that's kind of how hockey players are. Well, I think that the thing about this story that stuck with me is the fact that, you know, Ludzi's on the ice running a workout. He was at the rink every day and he noticed this guy hanging around and he kept, he kept hanging around. But the inquisitive mind was this guy must have something to do with the game, or maybe he's just a good fan. Let me go and talk to the guy, at least give yeah. something back. And then it turns out to be this gem of a hockey player. He they just wanted to watch hockey, enjoyed it. And they Lou, talked. Lou Jankowski. His name's Lou Jankowski. There you go. He just came to me. Lou Jankowski. And, and carrying on with that, I know that when I've talked to Pete Conacher, he was at the 51 game with his father, Charlie, when the Leafs won and Barocco scored the goal. And he went to games with his dad. And I remember saying to him one time, I was excited to try and get some information out of him. Well, what kind of stories did your dad tell you in the old days? about playing. And he said, really, Mike, nothing. He yeah. didn't No. Nope. And I talked to Brian Conacher. He yeah. said, nothing. they didn't say anything. Those guys in those days, they just did it. Yeah. And they just went home. And then how nice a guy is Peter Conacher? Oh, there's nobody nicer. He's a yeah. gem of a guy and um, just, a, just a beautiful man. And, and um, I love him dearly. It's funny because as an alumni, you know, we have a lot of events and I get you know, over the years, I've gotten to meet like Johnny Bauer and Dave Keon and, you know, go on and on. The list goes on and on. And, uh, you know, you just walk away from those encounters thinking like, like, wow, that guy's an unbelievable person. Like, you know, you wouldn't even think that, you know, he was one of the best goalies that ever played in the, in the National Hockey League or, or whatever. You just, all, all that's in your mind is, how wonderful that individual was to, to have a conversation with. I will say this though, Mike, and you, you've seen it big time with your attraction that you've got. Hockey players go to a party and they usually find each other somewhere near the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and their, their humor is just a little bit weirder. What they think's funny is just a little bit weird. But um, I, I agree with what Squid says. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very proud to, to um, make a living at this game. And um, I, I, don't, I don't know how long the show, show is. Well, I know that. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to say that I wish oh, you, sorry. I wish um, Squid all the very best. And Catch 22, 
that's a great name for a book. I thought it was fantastic. And uh, um, wow. the, the, he says I, he came up with that name himself. I, I, I don't believe him. I believe no, I did. And the reason I did is because I remember the movie. And I remember you read the book? Uh, which one? <laughs> it's 22, it's a book. <laughs> no, but anyway, I, I remember the, the phrase meant that you were caught between a rock and a hard place, so yeah. to speak. And, and, you know, once I started doing the book with Scotty Morrison and talking about my life and, you know, everything that happened in my life, I went, holy cow, like, there's a lot of situations where I'm damned if I do and I'm down, damned if I don't, or I'm, you know, between a rock and a hard place. And I said, which is a catch 22 situation. I said, why don't that, why don't we call it that? And then they checked with the, the publisher and they thought it was a great idea. And, and that's how it came up. I smell some infringement rights being broken here. Well, I, <laughs> I asked them to check into that before we did it. And they said, there's no problem. Well, that's all good. Well, Ludzi, we, we can't thank you enough for joining us, but just as there, uh, and again, I can speak from a personal standpoint for Deb and myself here that uh, you two guys, and I, I know, uh, you know, ex expounding on your, your generosity, the two of you never, ever hesitate to come and help us with an event oh, ever, driving in from Niagara Falls on a moment's notice. And yeah. it, it, it was recognized and I'll never forget it. So now is there, give us a message for the fans out there and the listeners just for, the foundation and how people can help. Well, um, it's, a, it's nice doing your show today. I'm in, um, I've got the Steve Ludzik Parkinson's Foundation. It's number one in North America for helping people with Parkinson's disease. And unfortunately, because of the medication I've had to take over the years, I, I'm, in, I'm in end stage liver disease. And it's been a year now, so my time's taken down and need a longer runway. But I feel good, I feel good today. Um, yesterday, not so good. You know, I'm, I'm a real positive thinker. And um, you are what you think you are. And um, I'll give this a, a go as hard as I can go, but the only way I know how to do it. Well, that, that's the way, that's the way you were when you played too, Lovey. And Thanks, you know what, that's, there are there certain guys that have that and there are certain guys that don't. And there's, you know, I, I can tell you if I went through my teams and somebody read off the rosters, I can tell you every single guy that had that and every single guy that did. And that man right there had that. And uh, he's, fight, he's fighting a battle of his life now and he's uh, doing it graciously as he always has. So now, how, how do they find the, it's under the, it's the stevebloodsickfoundation.com is that they just go to that and they can, if people want to make a contribution yeah, or help? Parkinson's fund, yeah, or the Hotel Du Shaver. Um, <clears throat> we've, like I said, we've raised over a million dollars in eight years. So, and that money goes right to the Parkinson's therapist. And, and um, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish there. And I hope to keep on doing that for a long time. We do too. We hope you do. We, we, yeah. we got, you got lots left to give us, Bo man. So we want hey, to hear from you. Michael, thanks for having me on the show. We couldn't have had a better guest than Squid. And um, great, great, great seeing you again. Great seeing you too, Ludzi. Okay, we, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. And folks, here goes thanks, a good Leslie. one. Hey, Squid, I'll see you along the block. You we'll talk it. to you. We'll have to go see Davey. Yeah, exactly. That's a date. Well, Squid, there's one of the 
great guys at a game exemplifies, as you pointed out, everything that's good about the game of hockey and giving back. And I'll tell you, a real champion, uh, Stevie Lodzik comes on. I mean, you can see the guy, you know, he is, he fights through it. He's going to beat this disease. I'm telling you, it tries to bring him down. A lot of guys would quit, but look at the poor guy, you know, and he still fights through it. And boy, it's funny as ever. Yeah, he, he, well, he's probably one of the funniest guys I ever played with. Like that night in that, we talked about at that restaurant, Smith and Walensky's, we asked the guy at the hotel, and when he said, when the guy said, I recommend the shrimp cocktail, and Lundsey just right away turned around and said, yeah, I guess you would have 45 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I always had a great time with him, and I'll tell you what, I, what I said about him is true. It's like some guys get it, and they work hard enough to be successful, and some guys don't. And look what he's battling now. I mean, Parkinson's and then the liver on top of that. And, uh, you know, God bless him. I mean, uh, I get to see him, you know, now and again. And uh, I see him on some good days and I see him on some bad days. And But he's just, he's fighting a good fight right now. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, he, he's still giving back. Uh, the foundation is, uh, we're going to, it will be on our uh, page when, if people want to give something to it, they're always looking, they have, they run a fantastic uh, event, a couple events every year. The golf tournament is a, a big success. You played in that a number of times, a lot of great hockey players playing that uh, the actual uh, banquet night or the fundraising night is, is a big event in Niagara Falls, huge turnout. Usually about 800 people show up to that, at that yeah. uh, night, big dinner, great speakers, lots of celebrities. It's a great evening. It's very affordable and it goes to a phenomenal cause. And it's the, it's usually uh, uh, a night where they do pick on somebody and it's a, it's a it's roast. It's funny as hell. And, and uh, it's usually pretty funny when you get the likes of Jim Ralph doing his thing. And <laughs> there's some pretty good, it, 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 it's a pretty good night. I've been to a couple of them and they're, they're excellent. So we yeah. just encourage people to support. These are the type of causes that uh, people to step up to support, because I think a guy like Ledzi, as I've said to you, he's the first guy to come and help somebody else. So yeah. Give a little bit back, guys, if you can. Well, Squid, we in another one. Yeah. Uh, you know, another great cause uh, we're, we're helping, hopefully, people to chip in and help with. Great guest. You can watch it on, uh, we're now, as we said, on SoundCloud. So we should be in all the podcast networks now. So people, because people are having trouble finding it. Some of the older people like us that have trouble working a computer, even though it's on the Hockey News Podcast Network, you can find it there. You can find it on our YouTube page. It's Squid in the ULF on Twitter. You can find Ricky on Ultimate. You can find him on Twitter under uh, uh, Twitter is under Rick Five, Rick and on Five, Instagram yeah. under Rick, Rick Five. Rick Five Twenty Two, I think. On what is it? I think it's Rick Five Twenty Two. Rick Five Twenty Two. So if you put up Rick Five, Five it'll pop Instagram. up. Yeah, on Instagram you find me and Ultimate Leafs fan. I'm the same on Facebook and Twitter as ULF fan. Uh, so you can find us out there. Send us any, some of your questions you'd like to maybe ask Rick or one of our guests that are coming on. Any of your comments are well taken. Uh, keep the good ones yourself. I got gooned a couple of times last week for a few things. So just, you know, we don't need to hear those. No, I'm just kidding, folks. But uh, that's all good. And we again, we always like to thank our friends at the Hockey News for carrying on with us. Uh, the Hockey News is your source for anything containing to the game of pertaining to the game of hockey anywhere in the world where a story breaks. It's usually right on top of it. And you can get your subscription to Hockey News at THN.com slash deal. Uh, go to it today. But come and join us next week. Look for us this week, and we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>